0: We first met Margaret as a student in one of our African ITI classes. Initial observations were evident to all. She lived among a tribal people in remote North Kenya, speaking a different language than most of the other students. She did not possess a Bible. We soon learned that hers was an oral culture. She could not read or write. In fact, she never attended a day of school in her entire life. Fellow classmates assisted her with class projects. Throughout the week, we got to know this remarkable woman. Following her husband's death, Margaret was left to raise eight children in a harsh, barren setting with few resources and many tribal conflicts. Margaret has a big heart and cared for 10 homeless children of her community in addition to her own children. Ministry was Margaret's passion. Trained in clean water technology, her home became a center for neighbors to receive clean water and improved health. Then robed in cap and gown, carrying her own Bible, Margaret graduated from the International Training Institute. She shared the gospel through Discovery Bible studies, starting over a dozen home churches. In addition, she leads teams of leaders who now multiply the work. Margaret is an entrepreneur. To support her family and ministry, she raised livestock as a small business venture. In spring 2020, Two waves of locusts destroyed crops in the area, and the subsequent flood killed her animals. Christ Community Church and Network Beyond were able to send relief funds to reestablish her livestock and enable Margaret to continue her work. We need inspiring
1: stories, and I know in these times that are really challenging and difficult, it's important to know that God is still at work, no matter how difficult or how uh, strange your life might be at this point, and that we're all part of a bigger story that God is writing for us. Well, today we want to welcome you because we are concluding a, a series of messages called #BeTheChurch2020. Now we're learning that even though we can't be physically present at all times, we can still be at the church. God is still at work. And so we are probably all looking forward to getting back to the old normal or new normal or any kind of normal at all. But what we want to do in the meantime is to discover or perhaps rediscover a message that Jesus has for us as his people. So the title of what I want to talk about today is called Unleashing the Dream. And I want to begin with a question. Do you ever dream? Do you ever dream? Now, probably I should clarify at this point. I was watching the movie Lord of the Rings, one of the films in, this, in the trilogy, and it's it's uh, it had this part, it's kind of creepy, it's about this big giant spider that's keeping Frodo, the hero, from reaching his, his goal, his uh, purpose he has to fulfill, and this spider's trying to wrap him up in a big web. And I went to bed that night, and wouldn't you know it, I find myself in the middle of the night in this spiderweb dream. (laughs) And I I spent the evening kind of, um, while I was asleep, of course, trying to both get out of the dream as well as getting out of the spiderweb. When I woke up in the morning, there were pillows and blankets all over the place. My wife had left the room, fortunately, in her wisdom, and I was exhausted at the dream I'd had. Well, let me just reassure you that's not the kind of dream we're talking about this week we want to talk about something much more important, something that God uh, uses to speak to us and to really connect with the world that he loves. T.E. Lawrence, who was a uh, 20th century, early 20th century author and leader, the famous uh, Lawrence of Arabia, once said this, and I thought it was quite insightful. He said there's two kinds of dreamers. He said there are dreamers of the night. And these are the people who have those uh empty dreams, kind of like the one I've just described for you, uh, that really amount to nothing. But then let me quote this. He said, There are dreamers of the day who are dangerous people, for they may act out their dreams with open eyes and make them possible. Now let's talk about this power of a dream because we have to be aware of something that happens to us in life. Now when we are young, we all dream. Ask any young child, what do you wanna be when you grow up? Or what are your thoughts about the future? And they come up with these wonderfully creative thinking and thoughts. They have plans, they are filled with imagination and wonder about this future. And then life happens and we grow up. Now some of this is natural. There are responsibilities that come our way. There's the wear and tear of life that is with us setbacks, disappointments, and sometimes we just have to switch into survival mode for certain seasons of our lives. But sometimes we allow that process to become much more permanent. We grow, up, we grow more than tired, we grow cynical. We lose the why of our lives and the sense of purpose that God wants us to have. And the dreams that we once had are extinguished, and life just rolls on. Not surprisingly, without a dream, our worlds tend to shrink. They grow smaller. Hope fades, fears increase, and imagination is lost. This hurts us, and it hurts the church because it hurts those we want to influence and those we want to help around us. Now, this may be surprising, but I think that God dreams. God dreams. Listen to this great passage. I was reading it recently in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, For he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. Now, if you're like me, you say, Wow, that is kind of overwhelming. It's mysterious, and it really, indeed it is but this much we can say for sure, that before there was a planet Earth and before there was a universe and stars in the sky and all of that, God somehow looked forward into time, and he saw you, and he saw me. And he saw us in this family-like relationship as a son or a daughter and looked on us with great pleasure and great delight. You see, God's dream was to see people in a relationship with him Uh, made possible through Jesus and his work on the cross. So may I just say it this way. God has a dream, and you're in it. Now, my question is, what else is God dreaming? Is there more? I mean, has God something else that he's imagining for you and for his people, his church? Let's talk about this. Now, in God's creative design as he made us, he gave us this wonderful uh, capacity to have mental images that come to our minds. For example, we are wired to be able to relive and remember past events and people. Uh, I'm sure all of us could answer this uh, this statement. Remember the time when we did this? Maybe some family experience, maybe some person in your life is very special, and and even though you maybe have never seen that person in many years, or perhaps uh, they've, they've died and gone on, Uh, you still remember them with fondness and vividness in your lives. and And we're wired that way to be able to form these mental images of people and situations and special occasions. But we're also made with the capacity to look ahead, to look forward into time and anticipate a future. In a sense, to see things that have not yet happened. To dream about the future. Now, there's a spiritual edge to this as well, because in the early days of the church, it says God's spirit was given to people, his people. And as part of that experience, God used dreams to communicate to his people. In fact, it says in one passage there in Acts chapter 2 that the spirit would give dreams and he would give visions that would result and be part of this present age. Now the fun part of that verse for me is that it says to old people, (laughs) praise God, but also to young, to men and to women, that all of us are included in this. Some of us do that better than others, but but God has this wonderful knack and we we are built as people to know dreams and to experience them. August 28th, 1963, was a very special day in our nation's history. It was a day that was marked singularly by a speech. Now, 200,000-plus people gathered in Washington, D.C. in a very hot, very sunny, very humid day to hear a speech that was only 17 minutes long. Now, most of us will not remember most of the words that were spoken that day by Dr. Martin Luther King, but I guessed every one of us here, every one of us, would remember four words that he repeated. In fact, he repeated them eight times during that brief message. What are they? I have a dream. I have a dream. For you see, dreams inspire us. And I want to say today that Jesus has a dream and you are in it. Now your place in the dream is not like anyone else's place. Your place in the dream doesn't have to be like someone else's. You don't have to live up to someone's, other, someone's expectation of you for the dream. Jesus passionately has something for you, and something wonderful he wants to do in you and through you. He wants you to dream. Now, to really grasp this, we're going to need to erase the whiteboard for a moment and take some things uh, off our usual way of thinking. To think beyond the present, to think beyond let's just keep things going as usual to go beyond our abilities or what we can pull off as people or as a church, and to think differently. And that is, what is God still wanting to do? What is he dreaming? Now, as a hint, Jesus' dream goes beyond fixing the world. He is about recreating it. He is about unleashing a movement of dreamers across this country and across the world. And that's where you enter the story. So let's talk about the dreamers for a moment. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 28, a great passage in God's word today, and probably the clearest expression of this dream that Jesus has for us. Let me begin reading in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. it. Now try to put yourself in this story. Jesus calls for a team meeting on this mountain in Galilee. There's just 11 of you. It used to be 12, but Judas betrayed Jesus and he was no longer there. No great crowds at this point. 11 of you walking up the mountain to meet Jesus in this meeting he has called. Now think what runs through your mind. You've had the most amazing three years You can anyone could imagine. You've seen people raised from the dead. You've seen miracles take place. You've heard teaching that, that was you've never heard before. Now, you've had a tough weekend just a few weeks prior. You saw the crucifixion, you saw Jesus suffer and die, but then came Easter morning, and the resurrection, and, and Jesus put it all in place. And here you are to hear these final words. How are you doing? Are you anxious, maybe excited? Now, before we get to Jesus' dream, there's something of importance to us on an individual basis. It says here that as they arrive on the mountaintop, there's Jesus, the 11 of them are gathered around, they saw Jesus, they began to worship Jesus. You know, they had this thing, they, they loved each other, and for three years they did life together. And that promise Jesus gave them to have abundant life was theirs, and they experienced it, it was wonderful. But in verse 17 of this passage, there's this phrase that really bothered me. And it says this, but some doubted. I mean, it almost seems like it's out of place. Some doubted. Because when we think of these biblical disciples, what comes to our mind? Oh, I think words like uh, unbridled faith and uh, boundless courage and and off-the-charts ability. Superstars, these guys are the guys that, that made it happen. And I think of myself, whoa. And there's this huge gap that, that's pretty big between the superstars and, and me. We have a funny acronym we have developed, especially during the coronavirus time, um, and we played it well, but this, this word GOAT, greatest of all time. And it's kind of humorous to to listen to the discussion. Who is the greatest basketball player of all time, the greatest baseball player? It doesn't matter what field of interest you have. Who's the greatest of all time? And the strange thing about that discussion is, and I realize we're just bored, so it's okay, but the strange thing about the discussion is um, there's always a gap between the greatest of all time and us. And we can't do what they do. We can't hit a golf ball or hit a baseball like, like these great, great players do. Some years ago, I wrote a book called Unleashed, and my purpose was trying to dispel this myth that God only works through these these great Christian people. And I highlighted some of my heroes. I get get a chance to work with some of the most amazing people on the planet. Now, most of them, if you were to see them, would be very mid-range in terms of their ability. None of them are famous. Some can't even read or write. Some are hearing impaired, but they're amazing, amazing people. If you ask me, was it a great book you read or you wrote? I say, no, it wasn't a great book, but it was a good book about good people doing really good things in the name of Jesus. For here's the reality. God works through broken people. God works through the not-so-perfect. God works through the doubters, bringing all those things Jesus and who are simply willing to trust him. Now, we got to get to this dream because this is really the fun part. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and de- teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, as we read those words in our English Bibles, we could be confused or think that Jesus is giving a a list of things to do. Be sure you do these four things um, after I leave. Almost a to-do box on a sheet that he's handing out. But in the language of the New Testament, in the Greek language, the the... Directive is very clear and very straightforward. Jesus' words are not a series of instructions or a bunch of stuff to do, but really just one straightforward imperative that's surrounded by three participles. So let me make that simple and just say this is how it reads. And Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. By the word nations, there is a wonderful word, ethne, where we get our English word uh, "ethnic." it's the cities, and and it speaks of people groups, different kinds of people. Make disciples of all nations. That's the dream, make disciples. The other verbs here are in participle form. So as you go, make disciples. He said going where? As you go, going through life, as you're doing life, whether it's going to school, attending classes, or it's going to your workplace, or in your neighborhood, or talking to the neighbor across the fence, or whatever it might be. Baptizing, that is encouraging public identification with Jesus after a person makes that commitment of their life to him. And teaching obedience. Notice, not just teaching the Bible, but teaching people to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. This seems very, very straightforward, right? Well, I am not so sure. You know, it's interesting. Many of us, when we hear these words, are hearing something a little different and we make a little bit of a jump, it's like we have a filter and we're filtering Jesus' dream before we apply it. For example, are any of you thinking right now, oh, these are inspiring words, this is such great stuff, you know, those G-O-A-T people, they need this in their lives. Boy, I, I just think of missionaries and pastors and Christian leaders and church elders, they gotta get this point. I mean, the greatest of time, all time need this. If you're going to Africa, you've really got to get this one. And we forget that Jesus was speaking to doubters. The people were thinking, I'm not sure if I can do this. I don't know about this. I'm just an ordinary person, an ordinary man or a woman or child or whatever. Some of us are thinking in terms of, of evangelistic rallies at this point. We're imagining that these 11 are gathered around Jesus, and Jesus is saying, Thomas, I'd like you'd go to India. You don't know where that is, but I'll show you. And uh, Andrew, can you take Africa? And, and uh, Peter, can you handle Europe? Well, of course you can. And, and, and we think about this, have big rallies, and that's the way it's being done. And so we think, ah, only G O A T people can do that, not me. But can we erase those misconceptions and just hear what Jesus is saying? Yes, the calling is big, and it's inclusive, all nations, all ethnic, but the calling is also small, make disciples. You see, it's you and a few. Jesus' dream reveals the why, the why of his heart, and deep down, Jesus' longing is this, that the all would hear. It says he is not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. Repentance. And yet, it was the small. He talks about leaving the 99, the many, and seeking the one lost sheep, the few. Jesus has a dream, and you're in it. Now, what does this look like? Let me close with some examples and some people that I just love, just wonderful people. As you know, we have two grassroots organizations that have been birthed, and one of them is called Network Beyond which is a a, uh, wonderful organization that works globally. We have hundreds of volunteer leaders with us who are doing a great job around the world in a couple dozen countries. And we have For the City Network, which is doing similar things on a local level here in our own community, trying to make a difference. Six years ago, I was in India. India, And I remember this scene so vividly. I, I saw this one young girl. She had been rescued out of the sex trade Um, she looked like she should have been in the junior high band. She was such a sweet little girl, and she had gone through such horrendous, horrific things in her life. And my heart just broke when I saw her. And the girls who had been cared for by our partners there, um, they put on a big dinner for us. It was very, very special. We had dinner, and at the end of the dinner, this young girl said, I wrote a song. I knew you were coming, and I wrote a song for you, and I'd like to sing it. And so she stood up, and she began singing this song, and it was about how Jesus now made her safe and how Jesus rescued her. And honestly, there was not a dry eye in the place, and we're all bawling here as, as people from the US, but it was such a precious story. I saw her in February of this year, and I noticed her right away, and we connected, and we were talking, and I said, are you are still singing? She says, oh, I love this thing, and I love the right music. I said, what are you doing now? And she says, you know, it's interesting. I've come back to the same home where I once lived, and now I'm investing my life in the lives of these young girls who had the same experience as I did to help them come through this." And there's a sparkle of joy that she has. You see, Jesus has a dream, and she's in it. I'd like you to meet Ambrose. Now, Ambrose is Kenyan, but right now he is stuck in South Sudan for four months away from his family. And he was saying, I'm I'm here, so I might as well just get about this, you know, and do something and live out the dream of Jesus. And so he has been meeting with groups of people in what they call Discovery Bible Studies, and basically they just open God's word. The group reads the passage, they talk about it. What is God saying to you? What can I do from this passage? What do I need to do to follow God? And, and they pray for each other, they encourage each other, uh, this is Christians, Muslims, animists. doesn't matter who you are. You're welcome to be part of this group. Great. What, is it, what are these groups? Are they churches? I don't know what they are. But they're wonderful, and they keep multiplying. I was talking to him yesterday morning, and he said people everywhere are responding to the gospel. There's new groups starting like this every day so that now there are several hundred of these small groups in this Islamic community in Sudan. By the way, this is not easy. Uh, He's been shot at. He's been bombed by airplanes. He's had to race through a desert on a motorcycle. Uh, He would make James Bond envious at the exploits of his life. All in 120 degrees. I'd like you to meet Turu. Turu, she's just a lovely lady. She's quiet. She's behind the scenes. She's a, a servant. She makes coffee from us. For us, rather, from her homeland in Ethiopia, wonderful lady. She had a heart to help women support their families, and so she started these little micro-business groups of women. It doesn't matter what they believe, they just come together and they, they learn how to do their business better. They sell eggs and chickens and those kind of things to support themselves. And she's been very supportive, and she brings in Jesus into the conversation. And there are nine of these groups right now that she is leading. But, you know, it's not just out there. It's right here as well. There are Christ followers right here who are meeting with former gang members and people from prisons and investing in refugee and and international neighbor folks in town. We see employers who are interested not only in the work they can get out of their employees, but they care about their family and they, they bring Jesus into those relationships. We have people who bring and bake coffee cakes for new neighbors moving into homes and and build those relationships and communication with folks. You see, the dream of Jesus is not rocket science. It doesn't require a theological degree. It's just saying yes to the dream, to say to Jesus, I'm in. Now we've been witnessing a small slice of this globally, uh, especially in our network Beyond Work. Some of you may know that these past several decades have been the most explosive decades in all of history in terms of the number of people coming to faith. Mission researchers who do this kind of thing for a living tell us that there are 68,000 people coming to know Jesus every day. Every day on average over 20 years. This is incredible. And I read stuff like that and I get so excited and then I think, ah, but there's a downside. For the report goes on to say that Only 3% of that number come from the U.S., Europe, and what we call the West. Nearly all those coming to faith today come from places without cathedrals, without nice buildings, without air conditioning, without an abundance of Bibles, without all the financial resources that we enjoy. They don't have 5G or 4G. Sometimes they have no G, no Internet at all. They have few trained leaders, though we're working on that, and they face a lot of persecution, and yet the church is growing. And I think about them, and I think about this statistic, and I realize what our global friends have gotten is the dream. They embrace the dream of Jesus. They are simply making disciples who make other disciples who make other disciples. Just two weeks ago, I was talking to a man in Rwanda by the name of Justin. He told me this there in Rwanda, 21 generations of Christians, of people sharing their faith with another person, another person, another person, another person. That's what makes the difference. At the heart of it, it's not going to be the events that we hold or services or the plans that we do. All that stuff is great, but it's the dream. Now, this message has a very personal side to me. My father died 45 years ago. He was a young man. He grew up in the Depression. Life was hard. Went off as a veteran in the Second World War. He worked hard when he returned. He was a construction worker. To be honest, he was a great dad, by the way, but to be honest, he was very irreligious. He wasn't anti-God. It's just he didn't have any faith at all. Never went to church. I never remember seeing him in a church. No spiritual upbringing, no church framework to to understand these kinds of things we're talking about. One early evening, I got a call from my mom. Dad had a heart attack right at the job. He was gone in an instant. Of course, Karen and I got on a plane. We immediately flew home. Did one of those red-eye flights, arriving at 4 o'clock in the morning. It was awful. It was so painful. Now, in Chicago, they have a custom. Actually, very few people attend the funeral service, but everybody comes the night before to what they call the wake. And the room is filled with people who come to to pay their respects, and and they're good-natured, and they're well-intentioned people, and they tell stories, and it's one of those evenings that's really, really good and really, really hard, and you kind of wish it would be over. And as part of the evening, one, uh, one part of the evening, two men came up to me. And they said, uh, did your dad tell you about the Bible study he was in? And honestly, my first words to them were, I think you probably have the wrong room here. There's a couple other things going on wakes down the hall, and I think it's probably the wrong person. My dad didn't do Bible studies. He said, no, no, he didn't tell you? He said, we had this Bible study at lunch, over lunch, every day on the, on the job site. And uh, my eyes were growing larger. He said, tell me about that. He said, yeah, we did that and..." And over lunch, and then two weeks ago, during our study, your dad said, you know, I get it. And I want to know Jesus. And he prayed with us two weeks ago to accept Jesus as a Savior. Well, not only did that change the service the next day that I had to give, but also changed my thinking about some stuff. And today, yet, I am still so thankful for two blue-collared construction guys who had a dream and, over a crummy peanut butter and jelly sandwich at lunch, had enough courage to invite Joe Offling to know Jesus. That's the end of the message. And normally, at this time, we would say, let's pray together, but I'm not gonna do that today. Instead of praying with me, I'd like to ask you to dream with me. Maybe the dream has faded in your life. Lots of wear and tear in your life, lots of things that have been disappointing and frustrating, plenty of personal insecurities that go into our living, and we, we all get that, and it's okay, no guilt here. But I wonder if you won't stay there, that you move on from there. Would you, wherever you are, hear what Jesus is saying and just connect with him? That if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, maybe this is the time to say, even with your doubts and all the questions, Lord, I want to know you, I want to follow you. If the lights have gone out on your dream, maybe a prayer, Lord, help me dream again. Show me your heart. Our worship team is gonna come in just a little bit and and give you a wonderful gift of time, a few moments to dream. You're going to see some statements on the screen from God's word and perhaps a question that can help us think in these terms. So friends, let's dream together. And Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us, help us to see you, help us to hear you, help us to see the people around us and the world that you deeply love and how we fit in this wonderful dream that you have. Amen.